Hello everyone, and welcome to the December 16th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A few weeks ago, several major lien claimants were successful in obtaining an injunction against enforcement of the $100 lien activation fee, fee from a federal court. As a result, tens of thousands of lien claims that would have been dismissed under Senate Bill 863 on January 1st remain on the books. The lien claimants were successful on one of their three causes of action which claimed the new law violated the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution. They were unsuccessful with two other causes of action which have now been dismissed. The dismissed theories claim that the mandatory dismissal provisions of Senate Bill 863 constitute an unlawful taking and violates their due process rights in violation of the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. And now the lien claimants have appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals with respect to two causes of action that were dismissed. Surprisingly, there are not yet any decisions by the DWC to appeal the adverse ruling on the one cause of action that was favorable to the lien claimants. There was a status conference scheduled in this case for December 23, 2013. Judge Wu continued this conference to January 16th. Nothing earth-shattering will take place at this next conference. Typically, federal judges will limit frivolous litigation activities and cut to the chase. There is likely no need in this case for an evidentiary trial as there is no significant factual dispute. Judge Wu will likely order the parties to take depositions or get affidavits of any potential witnesses and will ultimately gear this case up for decision by way of summary judgment. Thus, either at this status conference or the next, the will probably be submitted for an adjudication as a summary judgment. Meanwhile, the dismissal of two of the three causes of action will be argued before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It is not yet clear if the DWC will appeal the ruling granting a preliminary injunction precluding enforcement of the lien activation fee in January. Now, the Court of Appeal reversed an award of death benefits arising out of a death allegedly aggravated by the effects of prescription medication. Here's what happened in the case of South Coast Framing versus WCAB and Javelin Clark. Brandon Clark suffered back, head, neck, and chest injuries in 2008 when he fell from a roof while working for South Coast Framing. Brandon's workers' compensation physician prescribed Elevil, Neurontin, and Vicodin for his injuries. His personal physician also prescribed Xanax and Ambien for ongoing anxiety and for sleep difficulties. The personal physician noted that when Brandon was having problems sleeping, he was not aware of anxiety or of pain. Brandon died from the combined effects of these drugs and associated early pneumonia. His wife and children filed a claim for death benefits, alleging that the death was the result of the prescribed medications. The agreed medical examiner, Dr. Thomas Bruff, performed a detailed analysis of the interaction of the industrial and non-industrial medications. He said that the Neurontin did not have any role in the death 
and the Elevil was prescribed in low dose and blood levels show that the Elevil was likely taken as prescribed. However, the Ambien and Xanax prescribed by the personal physician was found in excess of what would normally be considered peripheral blood concentrations. Both these medications work in a similar fashion and would be considered at least addictive in their effects which caused sedation significant enough to result in the events leading to his death. The two additional medications present in the bloodstream which were prescribed by his industrial physician, Neurontin and Elevel, were not high enough to result in any coincident drug interaction. During his deposition, the AME recognized the limitations of toxicology by noting the mixtures of drugs are difficult to quantify. After repeatedly being pushed to calculate the percentage that Elevel contributed to Brandon's death, the AME claimed that no medical person could offer a precise percentage because it would be closing your eyes and throwing a dart at a dartboard. Nonetheless, a workers' compensation judge concluded that Clark died as a result of medications he took after suffering an industrial injury. The employer petitioned for writ of review after the WCAB denied reconsideration. The Court of Appeal in the unpublished case concluded that the board erred in denying reconsideration because the decision was not supported by substantial evidence. The court supported reversal, noting that the AME admitted it is difficult to make a reasonable medical analysis regarding Elleville's precise contribution to Clark's death. The agreed medical examiner also said that making that kind of determination really gets to be speculative. The Court of Appeal found that the evidence demonstrates that if Elleville played a role at all, it was not significant such that it constituted a material factor contributing to the worker's death. Accordingly, the order denying reconsideration was annulled and the matter is remanded to the board with directions to enter a new order denying the claim. And now, our fraud report. Two veteran LAPD officers were arrested after an investigation by the department's workers' compensation fraud unit. Investigators determined that the officers allegedly had provided false testimony during depositions related to their industrial injury claims. One of the police officers was Jonathan Hall, a 19-year-old veteran last assigned to the Emergency Services Division. He surrendered in response to an arrest warrant listing four felony counts of workers' compensation fraud, insurance fraud, grand theft, and attempted perjury. Bail for the 45-year-old officer was set at $80,000. Also arrested was Ralph Mendoza a 13-year veteran last assigned to the Hollenbeck Division Patrol. He surrendered on an arrest warrant listing two felony counts of workers' compensation fraud and grand theft. 44-year-old Mendoza, who lives in San Bernardino County, was held on $40,000 bail. He has been relieved of his duty pending the outcome of an investigation. 64-year-old Roger Edward Winkler, a property and casualty agent, was arrested by Shasta County investigators and charged with grand theft insurance fraud and petty theft 
for allegedly collecting insurance premiums from clients and issuing bogus insurance certificates. The California Department of Insurance received several complaints from consumers who claimed that they did not receive the coverage promised after paying Winkler the premium. Two of the consumers were told by their insurance companies that the policies were canceled for non-payment of premium. Other consumers discovered the certificates they received were fraudulent and the policy information on the certificates was bogus. Investigators claim Winkler collected more than $6,000 for workers' compensation, general liability, and commercial automobile insurance coverage and failed to forward the premium. The Department of Insurance is taking enforcement action to suspend Winkler's license. Winkler is currently out on $50,000 bail and is scheduled for arraignment in Shasta County Superior Court on January 6th. The California Department of Insurance urges anyone who purchased insurance from Winkler to contact their insurance company to verify coverage. And in medical news, California trial lawyers have renewed their fight to lift the MIRC or Medical Injury Compensation Reforms Act cap on damages in medical malpractice cases. Canvassers are gathering signatures to qualify a ballot initiative that will more than quadruple the maximum malpractice award to roughly $1.1 million. The Medical Injury Compensation Reform Act was a, was a statute enacted by the California legislature in 1975 and which lowered medical malpractice liability insurance premiums for California healthcare providers. The constitutionality of this old law was repeatedly challenged during the 1970s and 1980s, but most of it was eventually upheld by the Supreme Court of California or the California Courts of Appeal. Almost all of the MICRA is still in effect and still part of California law. A RAND report estimates that medical malpractice insurance costs were reduced by 30% as a result of the law. The success of MICRA inspired similar tort reform initiatives in other states, including Nevada. But now, a coalition of consumer advocates, trial lawyers, and the nurses union wants to qualify a state ballot initiative to raise the state's damages cap by changing the 30-year-old California law. Opponents, including 700 organizations representing doctors, hospitals, clinics, and insurers are already on a counterattack. Raising the cap, they contend, would increase medical costs for consumers and the state by billions of dollars a year. Dr. Richard Thorpe, president of the California Medical Association, says that an estimated seven out of every 10 physicians in California are rebelling against the state's Obamacare health insurance exchange and won't participate. Thorpe has been a primary care doctor for 38 years in a small town 90 miles north of Sacramento. The CMA represents 38,000 of the roughly 104,000 doctors in California. Doctors complain that California offers one of the lowest government reimbursement rates in the country 
30% lower than federal Medicare payments. And reimbursement rates for some procedures are even lower. For example, in other states, Medicare pays doctors $76 for return office visits. But in California, Medi-Cal's reimbursement is $24. In other states, doctors receive between $500 to $700 to perform a tonsillectomy. In California, they get $160. Insurance companies did not disclose until September that rates would be pegged to California's Medicaid plan called Medi-Cal. That has driven many doctors to just say no. The association says that Covered California's website lists many doctors as participants when they actually are not. But Covered California says it expects as many as 85% of the state's doctors will join the new exchange. Attorneys general from 28 states have asked the Food and Drug Administration to reconsider its approval of the powerful painkiller Zodro-er. Some top law enforcement officials claim that new drug could start an epidemic of abuse. The drug manufactured by Zejonex Incorporated of San Diego was approved the FDA by the FDA in October. Zodro reportedly is five to ten times more potent than standard hydrocodone products. But a panel of outside experts convened in December 2012 by the agency had voted 11 to 2 against the drug's approval, citing its potential to cause addiction. Some say this very potent drug is troubling because unlike extended release opiates containing abuse deterrent properties, there is nothing that would prevent someone from easily crushing or injecting Zoidro-er to get high. The attorneys general from the 27 states say that the drug should be reformulated with chemical deterrence to, to abuse. Abuse of OxyContin became so widespread that manufacturer Purdue Pharma changed its formula in 2010 so that the drug could not be injected or snorted as easily. An FDA spokeswoman said the agency would review the Attorney General's letter and respond. A small a growing number of physicians are not accepting government insurance such as Medicare and Medicaid. And some are even refusing to accept patients' private insurance according to the Executive Director of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons or AAPS. It says that transition to a business model in which patients agree to pay doctors directly for the healthcare services started before Obamacare was passed. But the new law has accelerated the trend, especially among AAPS 4,000 or so members. AAPS is the conservative alternative to the much larger American Medical Association, which endorsed Obamacare while AAPS opposed it. AAPS members do not like third parties telling them why they can't do what's best for their patients. And they're tired of constant threats of audits and prosecution, nor do they like being owed money by the government and many insurance programs. At least 100 physicians attend workshops and seminars, apps sponsors twice a year on the subject.
the former app's president who started her cash-only practice in Texas 11 years ago, tells fellow physicians that she has more time and flexibility to spend with patients and is actually better compensated for it. Doctors who stop accepting insurance typically initially lose patients and experience a drop in income. Some never recover the revenue, but because they don't have to pay people to process insurance claims, their overhead costs also decrease. The association says that before too long, they often find the move very positive financially as well as professionally because they're working less and making more money. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.